Motherhood is Murder contains graphic and explicit content that may not be appropriate for all listeners. Discretion is advised. Well, hello, and welcome to episode 13 of Motherhood is Murder. My name is Valerie Cation, and couple of things going on here. First of all, I am feeling better after my second time around with COVID. Thankfully, that was a little faster. I'm back at it. Hopefully, my voice sounds okay this time around, and I don't have to edit out a million coughs. <laughs> but um, I did want to talk to you a little bit about the Patreon. I always like to mention this at the end of the month because I add that bonus episode in. So moving forward with the Patreon, I decided to tweak it a little bit, make a couple of changes. And so we'll see how that goes. Also offer kind of a different type of video format for you to be able to see this show. So I am going to be taking these weekly episodes and putting them up on YouTube. YouTube has a podcast network. I'm not using that right now. I feel like it could be a really great way to get some outreach to all of you. So that video will be up there in their podcast network starting in June. And so the videos on the Patreon will no, no longer be there. So it makes sense because it's not an extra for your membership if it's already on on YouTube and available widely, right? So we will have on the Patreon, I changed the tiers. So there is still uh, the uh, get caught red-handed tier, right? And then you can have the inside job tier. The inside job tier gets you that bonus content. So we're still gonna have a bonus episode, any kind of crime stories, things that come up, different um you know, different content that you're not going to be getting, say, on the Instagram here or the Facebook, right? Something more visual for you. And I'm also going to be starting something called Cryptic Corner in June. I love cryptids, right? So cryptids are the best. And this will give me some time to kind of isolate a cryptid and give you some information on that entity. So it's a mystery to me. I'm excited about offering to you. It won't just be in the New England area. They'll be kind of from all over the place. So you get to kind of explore that. So a little something outside the norm, but something of interest to me and hopefully to you. I always kind of wonder about what else is out there, right? So Cryptid Corner will start on June 15th. You're going to have your bonus episode at the end of this month. So in a couple of days, and then in June, on June 30th, we'll have a bonus episode. If you sign up for Patreon now, you can get a free seven-day trial. So sign up, check out what's on there. And then after seven days, you can decide if you want to continue with your membership. All right. So try it out. So this time around, we have our monthly wrap-up. And our monthly wrap-up is going to be more about debunking the out-of-character myth. So we're going to talk about what character is, what is meant by out-of-character, and how that aligns to our cases and criminal behavior. And we're actually going to talk a little bit about the character, what we perceive as the character of someone who goes into the health professional fields, like becomes a doctor or a nurse. So I want to start out our episode this month with a quote from Maya Angelou, who is amazing and always sums it up just perfectly. This quote reads, when someone shows you who they are, 
believe them the first time. Mm. Gives me chills. When someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. Whether in the 1800s or in 2023, the belief that behavior can be out of character has persisted. This week, we'll wrap up our month of medical murders by diving deep to discuss the out of character myth and how it could relate to the cases we covered this month. Does this myth continue to perpetuate our culture? And if so, how does it influence our decisions, especially as it comes to the law? I also thought it might be interesting to consider what type of person may go into the medical field and if these attributes contribute to myths surrounding the medical profession and the character of the professional. I'm excited to dig in, so let's get started. The word character is derived from the ancient Greek term for stamp, as one would stamp markings on a coin called characters. When using this term to describe an individual, character could be construed as being fixed and unable to change or deviate. Science Direct defined character as, quote, enduring attributes that distinguish a person or make up a person's identity. Science Direct also noted that the term character has moral and ethical implications. When we review someone in terms of character, it's not only just the personality, but the behavior as well as the moral associations with that behavior. So in essence, it's pretty multifaceted when we think of character versus these other elements. So we'll discuss character, personality, and crime in a little bit. So hold on. According to a paper by Power and, and I hope I pronounced this right, but Kamelkov, the moral dimension is intrinsic to the concept of character. Character also involves a self-evaluation process. This process includes three phases of the self-evaluation. The first is identifying the quote, real self. The real self is a description of yourself as you are right now what you think of yourself, right? How you would describe yourself. And remember, this is a self-evaluation. So so it's yourself as you see yourself right now. The second phase is identifying the ideal self, which is the description of the self that you would like to see yourself become. The third phase is to identify the quote, dreaded self, which is the self you fear becoming. Power and Kamelkov noted that in previous studies on character, both values and morals had been considered. The psychology of a person is determined in the field of psychology to be the attributes that distinguish a person or make up identity. In past studies, cognitive developmentalists had studied three aspects, including personality, virtue, and moral agency in consideration of character. Moral reasoning was thus only partially responsible for moral action. It was also determined by Power and Kamelkov through their study that perception of the self was an integral part to the making up of what could later be determined as character. There are four criteria by which participants judge themselves when formulating character. 
These include the benevolent concern for others that goes beyond the rights of an individual, explicit consideration of the self's involvement in a course of action, anticipation that performing or failing would reflect on character, and the value of a relationship. In this study, the self was considered in two out of three of the judgment criteria. It was concluded that character was a source of motivation for moral action and that a person may take action to become or maintain a certain type of person to maintain that association with their perceived character. Again, this will come up later as we discuss criminal character and what may be considered in and out of character when an individual perpetuates a crime. Secondarily, the study concluded that acting morally develops a positive sense of self and increases the likelihood of acting morally in the future. Moral behavior is just one aspect of self-esteem, although other aspects were not studied in this case. As a side note, the case also noted that real self versus ideal self, the dreaded self may have a larger impact than previously considered. It appears that of those studied, an avoidance of the dreaded self was apparent. Ooh, that's a lot of information, right? That's a lot happening all in this context. So I had a lot of questions as it pertains to the concept of these three selves. So is it that people do not want to be what they fear being, or is it because they don't want to be perceived as their dreaded self? Furthermore, is the dreaded self the actual untethered self without morality, without rules, and without any shadow personas? So I had a lot more information that I would want to dive into in a study. It's really interesting. And the study was, you know, self-evaluation. So we have to consider that we're coming from a point of people are evaluating themselves and their character and what they fear and what they dread and what they hope to be. So it was just so interesting to think about the three selves. Like what if the dreaded self was actually the real self and everything else was just societal? Like if all society went to pot, like it just went away, would we be just our dreaded selves? Interesting. Definitely interesting to consider. So in the book, Out of Character, Desteno and Veldesalo of Northeastern University studied the hero slash villain aspect of human character. They noted a more balanced view of character, especially as it came to morals. So I'm going to do a side note here, hero versus villain. We all know it, right? Like we've seen anything from Marvel or pretty much anything at all. You have like bad guys and the good guys. And so they're noting more about how there is more of an interplay than we are maybe acknowledging. And uh, as a writer myself, I've explored that interplay. Uh, so I definitely, it's a very interesting concept when we can make like um, the, the hero character have villain qualities and vice versa. It can really kind of make things a little more human, right? So these two researchers noticed that balanced view of character, especially when it came to morals. So in a quote, David Desteno states, this is the quote, the derivation of the word character comes from an ancient Greek term referring to the indelible marks stamped on coins. 
Once character was pressed into your mind or soul, people assumed it was fixed. But what modern science repeatedly shows is that it just isn't the case. As we discuss in our book, everyone's moral behavior is much more variable than any of us would have initially predicted, end quote. So the work that's outlined in the book goes on to describe that blending of attributes that creates that illusion of character. In a further quote from David DeSteno, quote, the analogy of color is an interesting way to think about character. Most of us think that colors are very discrete things. Something's red, it's got redness. Something's blue, it's got blueness. But we are creating these categories. They're not natural kinds. They're not given in ways that represent fundamentally distinct things. Ultimately, what determines what colors we see are the frequencies of light waves entering our eyes. So it's along a continuum. It's kind of the same with character. Things blend. We assume that if something is good, that we've characterized them as good. That's a discrete category. They can't be bad. When they are, our categories shatter. That's because we have this illusionary arbitrary idea of what vice and virtue mean, end quote. So Aristotle had first considered the possibility of this virtue and vice being fluid and interlaced. So in some of that philosophy, and I I have done a lot of study on Aristotle and and I've taken philosophy in in college and I didn't do, I did, um, I don't think I did. I did a lot of like political philosophy, but there, uh, Aristotle was talking about this virtue and vice being more fluid. So that's that blending of attributes uh, that, you know, has been studied throughout many years. It's fascinated people. So as we consider this blurring of aspects of personality to create character, it would perhaps beg the question, can you actually be out of character? If character is itself an illusion, who are we? And why is that that we need to characterize individuals? While doing further research on this topic, I began to consider the criminals in the cases we covered this month. To review, we have a well-known and well-reputed surgeon who allegedly killed his wife, a concierge who killed two doctors he had little or perhaps no association with, and a turn-of-the-century nurse who showed great care to patients and was very well-reputed who went on to kill between 31 and 100 people without remorse. At first blush, All of these may seem out of character, but can an individual be both a callous killer and a caretaker at the same time? Let's segue for a moment to look up what makes a quote unquote good doctor. I think before we head into this list, think for a moment, just pause for a second and think about what makes up a quote bad doctor. Sometimes that's an easier thing than say good doctor. Like when have you had a bad medical experience, right? Why was that bad for you? Was it the doctor or healthcare team? Like what was that made that bad? And we've all had one, right? So let's consider that for a moment. Hopefully that's just, you just called something up or wrote it down if you're not driving or walking around, right? And as you call up your bad doctor, let's look at what makes up a good doctor or healthcare professional and see how they tally up. So a good doctor is considered, and all these sources are in the show notes if you're wondering where I've gotten this information. So a good doctor is considered a good communicator, therefore friendly, 
organized and conscientious, empathetic, and makes patients feel cared for, curious, collaborative, persistent in advocating for patients, and great bedside manner. When I let that sink in for a moment as you're thinking about what may have been a quote, bad doctor for you, right? One that didn't match with your needs. And then furthermore, I found an article that talked about the personality personalities that go into healthcare, like what kind of people go into the healthcare professions. I thought it was like really interesting. And this, this article is more in for doctors, but I want you to kind of consider it a little bit more uh, widely if you can. Um, but I kind of wanted to know about these personality types. So I found four, this is an article again, that's in the show notes, four personality types. One is called the enthusiastic doctor. So that's Dr. Popular, right? Dr. Popular, uh, very friendly, knows everybody, all this stuff. And in this article, they also tell you like how to best communicate with this personality style of doctor. Like if you work for the doctor, um, or if your doctor is one of these, so it's just kind of interesting. The second one is meticulous and they call this doctor logic. The third is intrepid impatient. They call this doctor driver, which just means like they're going to drive, they're going to get that done and then do it quickly. That kind of thing. They're not meticulous. They're not taking the time. They're probably not like very engaging. You know, they're just getting it done. And the fourth one is people focused, doctor all heart, like just wants to do everything for you. Right. So again, if you want a more comprehensive view of this, or just even to entertain yourself, check out the show notes. It's in there. It's kind of interesting um, and kind of fun to check out. But now that we know more about how we view the characteristics of a doctor, and this is in the United States, and the characteristics of a doctor are different everywhere, but this is kind of just think of it as a little bit more nationally United States. I want to shift back to these criminal cases because that's really what we're here for, right? The crimes that we covered and how character can play into court proceedings. So each of the crimes we covered involved healthcare professionals, either as perpetrators or victims of crime. If we look at the case of Kathleen McLean, Dr. Turk was well-loved and respected in his community in Boston. He was a popular, visible surgeon who was known to be warm and personable. So I would classify him as that enthusiastic type, you know, Dr. Popular, right? He was on billboards on YouTube, he really got himself out there. From our research, he meets the criteria for a good doctor. So if you go through the list, yeah, he met that criteria. It would have seemed extremely out of character for him to be cited for falsifying records and losing his job. In fact, he had members of his community write in to support him despite evidence that he had falsified information and had billed for it, thus committing fraud. It sounded as if those around him really bought into that one facet of his character. But if we look at this through an eagle eye view, we're able to see this blending that occurs where other facets of his personality begin to emerge. The dangerous side of him was reported by his wife, Kathleen McLean, in multiple instances reported domestic violence. 
So as everything kind of converged and his wife's body was found, we were really left wondering who was the real Dr. Turk. And again, to remind you that these are allegations of abuse and murder. So we'll see what happens in that case. In the case of Dr. Field and Dr. Bolaños, we have two doctors who both work as anesthesiologists, and from what I could find, were also well-steamed and well-reputed. Now, there are victims in this case. The perpetrator is a former concierge with what we discovered was a history of disruptive behavior. Still, that would not be discovered until later. So didn't really know about a lot about him at first. And I didn't see any evidence that while Texera was employed, um, that he got any reports from doctors Field and Bolaños about his behavior. In fact, I don't even really know how much interaction Texera had with the couple. So and it was really just after the murders that Texera's history of estrangement from his adopted mother, his lost job based on allegations of misconduct as a concierge, and then his angry and taunting outbursts in court came together. And that put together some more pieces or a, a greater and better picture of Texera's character. And in the case of the victims of Jane Toppin, Jane was reputed to be friendly, reliable. She took good care of her patients. She even earned the name Jolly Jane for her friendly personality. Others knew her socially as someone who drank beer, used rough language, and enjoyed the downfalls of others, all of which were largely frowned upon for women in the late 1800s, putting that in perspective. So on the surface, it would have been difficult to imagine that this friendly nurse was actually murdering her patients family, and friends in numbers ranging from 30 to 100 people. Here, compulsion to kill was an underlining thread to her personality that did not necessarily reflect in her outward character. So I'd like to segue into how character evidence can be presented in court. Mostly character witnesses or statements are considered irrelevant in a court of law since one facet of character may not reflect the whole. So for example, if you're known to steal cars, it doesn't mean you stole this particular car in this particular case. Right? So the prosecutor's burden of proof is on facts, and character witnesses may not be able to be proved or disproved. Character may be a factor in the defense, and only if the defense attorney agrees that it's applicable. Often we hear of statements of, quote, good character, such as community service, saving someone in an emergency, and other acts of kindness that may be considered in sentencing. And as always, exceptions can apply. In the book, Myth of the Out-of-Character Crime by Stanton E. Samnow, character is analyzed with a forensic lens. Samnow defines a character as, quote, patterns of thinking and behavior a person demonstrates in life. It's a pretty broad, a little broader than some of the other ones and doesn't have the moral component, did you notice? These can be linked with perceptions of the individual's personality. As a forensic psychologist, Sam now has had the opportunity to work with many criminals, either during trial or mostly during sentencing to provide feedback on an individual's character or provide reasons why the individual may have committed a crime. He has determined through his many years of study that no trait is, quote, out of character and there is no out of character crime. There is simply what he coins, quote, thinking errors, and that these errors may affect behavior. 
According to Sam Now, a thinking error is, quote, flaw in thought process that usually results in behavior that injures or at the very least inconveniences others. There is a level of self-absorption where the individual disregards the impact of their behavior in favor of their own wants and needs. Sam Now notes that thinking errors are prevalent in all criminal conduct cases. And it's not just criminals that make errors in thinking. Many of us do as we grow up and get older and throughout our lives. These will range from small, quote, white lies to larger lies and indiscretions. Sam now reflects that, quote, by lying, he, and that he is, you'd be like a they, it's just a general term, Quote, by lying, he preserves a view of himself as an individual who can easily outsmart others, end quote. This can be on a small scale or a grand scale. And many of us do not go through life unscathed, right? When we consider criminal behavior, Sam now encourages us to not just look at one act, but look at the pattern of behavior. Stealing something as a child does not mean you will go on to commit large-scale larceny as you get older. If we look at our cases, there are patterns of behavior. Turk allegedly engaged in domestic violence with his wife. I also want to do like a little segue with Turk. He also had the uh, fraudulent charges on him, resulting in him losing his job. So there's some patterns of behavior here. Texera had multiple run-ins with people in his life. And then later on in court, that's a pattern of behavior. And Jane Toppin had a pattern of poisoning those in her care and those who had positions in life that she wished for herself. None of these were isolated events. Sam now has written an entire book on this topic and it is riveting and an easy read. So I encourage you to go out and purchase it if you're interested in this topic. And to wrap up, you know, there are studies and deep consideration to what is character and what is out of character for an individual, especially as it relates to crime. And I know I listen to true crime podcasts to gain better insight into the criminal mind and why people do what they do. I assume if you're listening to this, you're just as curious as I am. And I'm of the belief that nothing is out of character. And really, as I read this, uh, Sam Now's book, more and more of this is coming together for me. And it's actually, Sam Now has a section, he actually goes through like his process, like how he meets with somebody, what are some things that can come up in those meetings, how it relates to character, how it relates to different facets of character, really, really interesting stuff. And then of course, how it relates to forensics, which is just anything that comes up into court. So his work with that um, but as I read more about this, it makes a lot more sense that, you know, there is like a swirling, that nothing is black or white, so to speak. Now, the thing is one thing or the other, but they can be a blending of, of a lot of different things all at the same time. So more that we can see that blending in, I think the more people become human, but the better off for understanding where do these things come from and how do they develop? And, and it doesn't, and I always look at these things, like how can we learn from these things and then support and help and care for people in our community? How can we prevent different things from going on? And uh, I haven't gotten a sense of how that could happen yet in Sam Now's book. However, you know, even just knowing as much as we do about his analysis of character and working with criminals, 
can help us as we move forward and get more information is always a good thing, I think. And, you know, we don't always know what's going on in people's lives. We, we're not fully aware of the facets of, of a whole life a lot of the time. We usually just see that one or two facets of people that they show us in the world, kind of that skin, like what they show us, how they work in their personal life and their outer life and whatever. And we all do this. We all pivot and switch and change depending on our environment, right? It's not just a criminal. You're not a criminal if you do it. We all do that to kind of get along and things. And there's a lot of push. I, I work in the yoga world and there's a lot of push for authenticity, like be an authentic teacher and authenticity. And sometimes I'm like, ah, what is authentic to me? There are some things I think are, I try to be authentic, but it's like, what is that? You know, so diving in deeper, maybe through meditation and study can also be helpful, but really, we only really see that one side until we have an opportunity to pull back and see the whole thing. And many of us are just trying to understand ourselves, right. In our own facets, again, in the yoga world, a lot of what we do is try to figure out who are, who are we? is, is who I am, who I think I am, you know, all those things. So we, it's would be absolutely impossible to understand someone else if we don't have a good grasp or understanding of ourselves to begin with. Right. So anyway, lots of great information, debunking that out of character myth as we move forward and we consider some other crimes and that we're going to cover. Maybe we'll start to think about how does character come into play with some of these, these cases, right? So, well, I will see you next week for our next topic. I'm really excited to start a new month with you all going into the month of June, check out the Patreon, uh, if you're interested in um, that bonus episode, I'm going to be putting a bonus episode out at the end of the week. So you have that on there. Check out the YouTube. I'll share more information as I get that YouTube channel going. And um, until next time, be good to one another. Do you love the show? Support Motherhood is Murder on Patreon and get some awesome perks, including a shout out on the show, bonus content, access to a private online community, and more. We appreciate the support so much, and it allows me to offer a case to you each and every week. Other ways to support the show is to rate, review, and subscribe. I appreciate all the fabulous feedback, and it ensures people will listen and help families who need it most. Motherhood is Murder is researched, written, and produced by me, Valerie Cation. Music by Alexi Action. Check out the show notes for a list of my sources and ways to support your community.